Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Beach House 34 True Crime and Paranormal Podcast. I am your host, Christine Worth, and today we're heading back on in to the Darley Routier trial. And today we actually are going to hear from a woman by the name of Helena Saban, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying her last name correctly. She is the mother of Barbara Jovell, who happens to be a friend of Darley's and um, obviously Helena's daughter. She also testified at trial, but we haven't gotten to her yet. But Helena, is she did some laundry and some cleaning at the Routier home on June 4th and 5th, and these would have been the two days just prior to the crime. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different this time. Usually I will recap the last episode that we did, but I've noticed that as I do that, it just really extends the entire Routier trial episode episodes just in general quite long. So in the event that you want to hear information about the last episode, that was when we last heard from James Cron. It was his final portion of his testimony. And that was in episode number 80. So if you're interested and want to hear the last portion of James Cron's testimony, that would be episode number 80. So let's continue with the testimony now of Helena Saban, who did some cleaning and such at the Routier household just on the days prior to the crime. Now, the testimony actually uh, starts with the court saying, just for the record, this is Christina Krosik. She is a native of Poland. She will be the interpreter for the witness who is Mrs. Helena Saban. And you do speak English, but sometimes you prefer to speak Polish. Is that correct? And the witness then says, yes, sir. The court says, all right. Sister, if you will raise your right hand, please. We are on the record. Do you solemnly swear or affirm that you will faithfully perform your duties as interpreter and accurately interpret from Polish to English and from English to Polish all matters here before the court today concerning this witness? And whereupon the interpreter was duly sworn in by the court to faithfully translate, and then the proceedings were resumed as follows. The interpreter says, I will. And the court says, is that I do? The interpreter says, yes, sir. The court then says, all right. Thank you, ma'am. Lower your hand, please. And the interpreter says, yes. The court then says, ma'am, if you will raise your right hand, please. And then goes ahead to swear in uh, Helena. The court then states, okay, you are both under the rule of evidence now. That simply means that when you are not in the courtroom, ma'am, the witness, when you're not testifying, stay outside the courtroom. Don't talk about your testimony with anybody who has testified. In other words, don't compare it. You may talk to the attorneys for either side. If somebody tries to talk to you about your testimony, please tell the attorneys for the side who called you. Fair enough. Witness says yes. The court then says, if you will have a seat right here. Sister, if you just won't discuss anything that goes on in here with anybody outside other than the attorneys for either side. Before we go on the record, again, are we going to do this in Polish or in English? And Mr. Toby Shook says in Polish, judge. 
The court then says, totally in Polish. Mr. Moeller then says, we want the questions in Polish too. The court then says, that is what I mean. We are going to have the whole thing. Here is what is going to happen. Here is what is going to happen. One attorney for each side will ask you a question in English. And the witness says, okay. The court then says, even though you may understand it, the sister will translate it to you in Polish. The witness then says, yes. And the court then says, you will answer her in Polish. The witness says, yes. The court then says, you will then tell the attorney what she said in Polish in English. The interpreter says, all right. The court then says exactly what she said. Mr. Mosty then asks, could we clarify that? Because a lot of people who have not interpreted, oftentimes when they say, well, she said that, the court then says, no, we don't mean that. I mean, for example, if they asked, what color was the car? And she says, the moon is made of green cheese. You say, the moon is made of green cheese. You say exactly what she says. Okay? The interpreter says, yes. The court says, fair enough. Don't say, quote, she said. All you do is answer. Just say the words she says. Mr. Richard Mosty says, in the first person. The court then says, in the first person. Right. All right. Mr. Toby Shook then says, Judge, where would you like the interpreter, the sister, to stand when she does the interpretation? The court then says, well, I imagine if you want to stand, I think the jury has to hear this. If you could stand right here and just turn around, just turn around like that. And then the jury, if you will speak loudly so that the jury can hear you, and you will speak into this, and we'll just try it and see how it works. Let's bring the jury in. And at this point, the jury is brought back into the courtroom. The court then says, now in front of the jury, let the record reflect that all parties in the trial are present and the jury is seated. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, this witness sitting on the witness stand right now has been sworn outside of your presence. She speaks both Polish and English, but prefers to speak in Polish. Sister Krosik here is the interpreter. She is a native of Poland, fluent in both Polish and English. So what will happen is she has been sworn as the interpreter. Questions will be asked to the sister. She will then, the interpreter, she will then, they will be asked in English. She will relay the question in Polish. The witness will answer in Polish. Then the question will be translated into English. So go a little slower, but nonetheless, it should not be too bad. So Mr. Shook. Mr. Toby Shook then says, thank you, Judge. Whereupon Helena was called as a witness for the state of Texas, having been first duly sworn by the court to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, testified in open court as follows. And the direct examination begins with Mr. Toby Shook. Can you tell us your name, please? Helena Teresa Saban. And where were you born? In Poland. When did you come to the United States? In 1973. Okay. And how long have you been a U.S. citizen? Since 1982. Okay. Can you speak and understand the English language? Yes. And do you converse in the English language every day? Yes. In this situation, do you prefer to speak through an interpreter? Yes. And why is that? Because it will be easier for me. All right. And you came to this country in 1972? In 1973. Okay. What brought you to this country? 
My husband brought me here. Did you come with your family? With two daughters. Okay. And where have you lived here in the United States? In Massachusetts. What other states? In Michigan. Any other states? And in Florida. Okay. Let me ask you first. Did you work when you were in Poland? Yes. What type of job did you have? I was a registered nurse. And have you had jobs since you moved here to America? Yes. What types of jobs were those? I worked for 15 years in the factory where they were making parts for the cars. Did you recently move to the Dallas area? Yes. When was that? 6th of April. Of this past year, 96? 96. And who do you live with? With my daughter. What is her name? Barbara Jovell. Do you have a nickname that your daughter and other people call you? Babsia. And what does that mean? It means grandmother. Okay. Let me ask you, ma'am. After you moved here, did you meet a woman by the name of Darley Routier? Yes. Mr. Richard Mosty, the defense team, says, Judge. The court then says, ma'am, speak only in Polish. Now wait until the translator, the interpreter, gives you the questions in Polish. Answer only in Polish. The witness then says, I am sorry. The court says, that's all right. The interpreter says, yes. Mr. Shook then continues. And who is Darley Routier? She was a friend of my daughter. Okay. Do you see Darley Routier here in the courtroom today? Yes. Okay, could you point her out, please? She is sitting over there. Are you pointing to the woman here in the green checkered dress? Yes. Mr. Shook then says, Your Honor, if the record could reflect, the witness has identified the defendant. The court then says yes, and uh, Mr. Toby Shook continued. Now then, in between June and April of 1996, how many times did you meet Darley Routier? About five or six times. Did you go over to her house? Four times I was in her house. Did you ever meet up at a workplace? Excuse me? Did you ever meet up at your daughter's workplace? I'm sorry, let me try that again. Did you ever meet her at your daughter's workplace? Yes, my daughter took me there. Where did your daughter work at that time? In Darley's business. Do you remember the name of that place? Electronics something. Something connected with electronics, but I don't remember. Okay, let me ask you, did you talk to Darley in June about working for her? Yes. Okay, did Darley call you up? Yes. And what did she say? She asked me if I would be willing to come to her home three days to work. Okay, and what days were you to work there? On Tuesday and Wednesday, and I was supposed to work also on Friday. Okay, is that Tuesday, June 4th and Wednesday, June 5th? Excuse me, could you, June, June 4th and June 5th? Yes, what did you tell Darley? I told her to call first my daughter. Okay, and what type of work did she want you to do? Laundry, and in case I had time, I would do some cleaning. And were you to be paid? Yes, how much? $50 for three days. Okay. Did you agree eventually to work for her? Yes. And did you go over to her house on June 4th, that Tuesday? Yes. 
About what time did you get there? 8.15 or 8.20, about. And who took you there? Daughter, okay. Did your daughter go on to work after she dropped you off? She just, she went with me to pick up Darlie's husband for work. Okay. Did Darlie's husband leave with your daughter? Yes. And what is his name? Darren. Okay. Is that who Barbara works for at her job? She was working. Okay. And why did your daughter need to give him a ride to work? Because his car was broken. Okay. What type of work did you do there that day at Darlie's house? A laundry. Was anyone else there besides Darlie? A girl named Rebecca. Okay. And who was Rebecca? Darlie told me that she was a babysitter. And about how old was Rebecca? I don't know exactly, about 11 to 12 years old, about this age. I am not sure. Had you seen Darlie's boys, Devin and Damon? No. They were not there at the house when you got there? No. You have met them before, haven't you? I don't understand the question. Okay. You had seen and met Darlie's children before you went to work there that day, hadn't you? Yes. Okay. Was there also a baby in the house? Yes. Did you see the boys around lunchtime? Yes. Okay. Where did they come from when you saw them at lunch? From the outside. Okay. After lunch, what did they do? Darley told them, you either go upstairs or outside. And what did they do? She, they went outside. Okay. What time did the girl, Rebecca, leave? It was about 10 till 3 or 15 till 3 p.m. And why did she leave? Because her mama came from work. Okay. Had you been doing laundry all day long? Yes, because it was a lot of laundry. And where was Darley during the day while you were doing laundry? She was upstairs and also downstairs. Okay. And where was the girl, Rebecca? They were together. Okay. How did you get home that day? Darley took me to my home. Okay. And about what time was that? About 5 p.m. Did you want to go back the next day? No. Why is that? I didn't want to go back because I didn't feel comfortable because I felt that Darley and Rebecca were making fun of me behind my back. Okay. How was Darley acting that day? Some days she was a very, very joyful person, sometimes not. And sometimes she talked to me, but sometimes she was upstairs. Okay. Did you decide to go back the next day? Yes, because of my daughter. Okay. And again, what time did you arrive there on Wednesday, June 5th? About 8.15 or 8.20. Okay. And who was at the house when you got there that day? Darley and Rebecca. Where were they in the house? Darley was sitting in the armchair and Rebecca was sitting across from her on the couch. What room was that? A family room. Mr. Richard Mosty then says, Your Honor, may we approach? The court then says, Yes. Whereupon a short discussion was held off the record, after which time the proceedings were resumed as follows. The court then says, Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, will you step into the jury room briefly, please? At this point, the jury is excused from the courtroom, and proceedings were held in the presence of the defendant, 
with her attorney, but outside the presence of the jury. And the court then says, let the record reflect that these proceedings are being held outside the presence of the jury and all parties in the trial are present. Go ahead, please. Next question. Mr. Toby Shook says, sister, do you need some water? The interpreter said, yes, I do. The court says, all right, we have some water there. The interpreter says, I'm sorry, I have a sore throat. The court says, do you need some water? The witness says, yes. The court says, we will still do this in Polish and English. Keep it the same way. All right. Next question, Mr. Shook. Mr. Toby Shook then says, yes, sir. And Mr. Toby Shook then continues his questioning. And again, I'm assuming because they haven't brought the jury back in, this is outside still the presence of the jury. And Mr. Shook asks, okay, again, where were Darley and Rebecca? They were sitting in the family room. Okay. And what was going on when you went in that room? Yeah, I was, I said, good morning. Okay. And what happened next? Because it was very quiet, I was looking, where was the baby? Okay. What did you say? And I asked, where is the baby? Okay. And what happened next? Nobody answered me. Okay. Mr. Mosty then says, may I move over there, your honor? The court then says, yes. Mr. Mosty says, I can't hear. Mr. Shook then says, then what happened? Yes, I was asked for the second time, where was the baby? Then what happened? It was silent again. Okay. And then what happened? And when I asked for the third time, Rebecca pointed her finger toward Darley's lap. Okay. Did you look at her lap at that time? Yes. Describe what you saw. Well, yeah, I thought she was holding a bundle of laundry. Okay. She had a blanket in her lap? Yes. And what is the next thing that happened? I told Darley, give me the baby. Okay, what did Darley do? Nothing. Then what happened? For the second time, I repeated my question, my request. And what happened? She told me that the baby liked it this way. Okay, then what happened? And then I asked, please, asked, please give me the baby. What happened next? She and she handed me this baby. How did she hand you the baby? In a strange manner, not the way I expected a mother to hand in the baby. Okay, how was that? Show the judge. She was holding the baby here on the lap, and she gave me this way. Then what did she do? Darley went upstairs. How did she go upstairs? Very quickly. Okay, and what did you do? Very slowly, I started to uncover the baby. Was the baby's face covered? Yes. Okay. And describe the baby once you uncovered his face. The face was very perspired, very red, and the lips were light blue. What did the baby do once you uncovered it? Very slowly, I uncovered the face, and then the baby started to catch the breath. Okay. And then what happened? And then, still, when I was uncovering the baby slowly, the baby started to cry. Okay. Were you able to settle the baby down eventually? Yes. Okay. Later that morning, in that same room, did you see the baby by the glass table? Yes. Okay. Were Darley and Rebecca in the room again? Yes. Okay. Did you see something that caused you some concern at that time? Yes. And what was that? I finished my laundry, 
And I was coming toward the couch to sit on the couch, and I saw that the baby was falling towards the table. Falling towards the table? Yes, towards the table. And what did you do? I shouted, oh my God, and very quickly I caught the baby. Did you catch the baby? Yes. And what did Darlie and the girl Rebecca do? They started to laugh. What did you say? I told them, it is not funny. Okay. Later on that day, did you come across the baby again in the laundry room? Yes. And what time of day was that? It was right after she gave the children lunch. Okay. And what was the baby doing when you came upon it? The baby was in the laundry room. The baby was in the laundry room. Was there an, any adult near it at the time? No. And what did you do? I picked up the baby in my arms. Okay, then what happened? Then I called Rebecca. Where was Rebecca? Darlie and Rebecca were upstairs. And did Rebecca come to you then? Yes. She came, she picked up the baby, and she went upstairs. What did you tell her? I told her, I told her not to leave the baby in this way. Okay. A little while later, did you come into the kitchen again and find the baby in a high chair? Yes. And did you become alarmed at that time? Yes, I was folding the laundry and I heard the cry of the baby. Did you find the baby in the high chair at that time? Yes. And how was the baby positioned in the high chair? The baby slipped down from the seat of the chair. It slipped out from the seat? Yes. And what was the baby doing? It was crying. And where was Darlie and the girl Rebecca? Upstairs. Upstairs. The court then says, wait till they ask you the question, ma'am. Mr. Toby Shook continues, okay, what did you do? I shouted. I called very loudly for Rebecca to come downstairs. And did Rebecca come downstairs? Yes. And what did you tell her? I told them not to leave the baby in this situation anymore. Was Darlie present at that time? No. Was she still upstairs? Yes. Okay. Mr. Shookman says, Judge, that's all the questions I have on those four instances involving the child on that Wednesday. The court then says, all right. Any cross-examination, Mr. Mosty? All right. Who will do the cross-examining? Mr. Mosty? It's Mr. Mosty, and he gets up and he says, I don't think I want to cross-examine her right now, Judge. Well, I'll let Mr. Hagler address that. The court then says, all right. Do you have any objections? Mr. Hagler then says, yes, Your Honor. I couldn't hear the very beginning of it, but it was my understanding that we have identified four specific instances here, and it's my understanding that each one of these involved Drake as opposed to either one of the boys. Is that correct? Mr. Shook then says that's correct. Mr. Hagler says, according to her testimony, the court says, apparently showing careless behavior or treatment of the infant son, Drake. Is that correct? Mr. Shook said, Judge, yes, it shows. The court then says, in summary, Mr. Shook then says, it shows strange behavior, careless behavior, and I think it goes to the defendant's state of mind a few hours before the murder in regards to one of her children. And I think it's relevant in that way. This happened on the 5th, and the murders occur in the early morning hours of the 6th, and this shows very odd behavior towards one of her children just a few short hours before. So, I think it's relevant in that manner. 
It goes to the state of mind of the defendant only a few hours prior to the offense. And it goes to the relationship under. I believe it's 38.36 between the victims because this is their little brother. It goes to the, it's relevant in that way also. Although it doesn't directly involve Devin and Damon as children in those situations, obviously, they are present in that household. That is their little brother. It shows the defendant's state of mind, and it's relevant to show the relationship in that way. The court then says, Mr. Hagler. And Mr. Hagler then says, okay, the states indicated, Your Honor, normally, of course, under Article 38.36, the state is entitled to show the relationship between the defendant and the deceased. And clearly, that section is not applicable because we're not talking about, we are talking about Drake and not the complainant and or either one of the decedents in this case. Secondly, Your Honor, again, I have identified four specific instances of what I would consider irrelevant and extraneous offenses under 404-B. The first one having to do with the incident, the alleged incident where the child was in the defendant's lap. As I interpret this witness, she is stating something to the effect that the defendant was involved in some kind of smothering incident or what have you. Your Honor, that clearly is an extraneous offense under Rule 404-B. And furthermore, we would submit that it's irrelevant under 401 because of the fact that it deals with a different individual. In addition to that, Your Honor, as the court knows, in order to show an extraneous offense of this nature, they are required to make a prima facie, I think I said that right, showing beyond a reasonable doubt that the incident occurred of the smothering incident. And I would submit to the court that they have failed to elicit sufficient fact to establish beyond a reasonable doubt that such an extraneous offense occurred. I might also add that also to the incidents two, three, and four. Secondly, Your Honor, and again, the other ones deal with, they are specific 404-B matters. Again, in dealing with someone other than the complainant and furthermore clearly indicate the clear 404-B material. It doesn't necessarily have to be an extraneous offense to constitute 404-B material. It can be any type of so-called bad acts. It's pretty apparent that they are attempting to offer the incidences, the second, third, and fourth incidences, to show some type of child abuse or failure to properly maintain a setting for the child, what have you. These, again, would be bad acts under 404-B. And again, in order to do that, they have to establish some relevancy to show that there is a probative value between the incidences. And I'm not even going to get to 403 matters yet. But again, they clearly fall within the review of 404-B materials. Again, 401 relevancy. The fact that we are dealing with different parties than are named in the indictment. So, you know, based on 401 and based on 404-B and based on the fact that they have failed to establish their necessary, their prima facie showing of these incidents beyond a reasonable doubt, we would submit that the court suppress the testimony that has been elicited at this point during this hearing. The court then says, all right, well, does the state have another witness to put on now? Mr. Shook says, well, we should call another witness. Yes, judge. The court then says, do so. 
I'm going to, I will hold a ruling on this in, this is all of the testimony you are eliciting from this witness. Is that correct? Mr. Shook says, no, there's other areas. I think those are the areas. And the court then says, well, it's break time right now. Let's take a 10-minute break and I will rule on it then. So at this point, recess was taken and the proceedings were resumed on record in the presence and hearing of the defendant without the jury. And it continues. The court says, we will not get or go into any of these four incidences now. We are going to skip over that for now. We can't bring that in now. Do you understand that? The witness then says, yes. The court then says, make sure she understands it in Polish. The interpreter says, yes, sir. The court then says, we are going to start a new series of questions and forget the old ones. All right. Does the witness understand that? The interpreter says, yes. The court then says, all right, let's bring the jury back in, please. Let the record reflect at this time. All parties in the trial are present and the jury is seated. The court then says, all right, Mr. Shook, you may continue. And the direct examination by Mr. Toby Shook is continued with the jury now in the jury box. When you got to the house on Wednesday, who was present at the house? In Darley's house? Yes, Darley's house. Darley and Rebecca. Okay. Did you see the boys, Devin and Damon, at that time? I saw them at lunch. Okay. Did they come in for lunch and eat again? Yes, they ate lunch. And what did they do after lunch? Darley told them, you either go upstairs or outside. And what did they do? They went outside. Okay. What work did you do there on Wednesday? I was doing laundry, but not so much. What else did you do? I was dusting. And what part of the house did you dust? In the family room? Where is the TV? And everything, what is by the kitchen? Okay, what else? Excuse me. What else did you do? And I was vacuuming. Okay, and where did you vacuum? Downstairs. Okay, did you vacuum the entire downstairs? Yes. Okay, what did you do with the vacuum cleaner when you finished? Darley told me to just put it by the kitchen. Okay. And where did you put the vacuum cleaner in the kitchen? Okay. Between the table or the cabinet where they had wine and between the cabinet that I call a storage room. Okay. Let me show you a photograph that has been marked as States Exhibit number 99 and ask you, let me ask you, do you see the area where you left the vacuum? Here. Next to the wine rack here? Yes. And is this the storage room you were speaking of? Yes. This is the place where we kept the cereal and salt and pepper. Mr. Mosty then says, I'm sorry, I can't hear. The court then says, please speak into the microphone. Thank you. All right. Mr. Shook then says, we will offer States Exhibit number 99. The court says, any objection? Mr. Mosty says, no objection, Your Honor. And the court then says that States Exhibit 99 is admitted. Mr. Shook then continues. Okay, now let me show you the photo again. And if you would point for the jury the area where you left the vacuum, here. Is there a door open here where we see supplies, groceries, things like that? Yes. Okay. And is that the pantry we're talking about? Yes. The area I'm pointing to, is that where you left the vacuum cleaner? Yes. Okay. And if you could mark an X 
where the vacuum cleaner is. Yes. When you left that day, is that where the vacuum cleaner was? Yes. Okay. What was Darlie doing that day? Where was she in the house? She was cooking the dinner. Okay. Had she done any vacuuming that day? Yes. And where was that? Upstairs. Okay. What time did the girl named Rebecca leave that day? It was about 3 o'clock or 3.15 p.m. After Rebecca left, did Darlie show you anything in her family room? She brought a jewelry box. Where did she bring the jewelry box from? From the upstairs. Okay. Where did she take the jewelry box to? Excuse me? Where did she take the jewelry box to? She brought it downstairs. Okay. To what room did she bring it? To the family room. What did she do then? She was showing me, and so we were looking at it. At the box or the jewelry in the box? At the jewelry in the box. Okay. Let me show you what's been marked as States Exhibit 99-A. Is this a photo of the jewelry box? This is. Okay. And was it later placed in, a, in the chair where we can see it? No. Where was the box when you left that day? The box was just by the armchair. And again, if you could point out for the jury where the jewelry box is, now it is in the armchair. Did you talk with Darlie about the jewelry that she had in the box? Yes. And what did she tell you about the jewelry? Mr. Hagler then says, Your Honor, this is all irrelevant under 401. The court then says, What is the relevance? Mr. Shook says, Judge, we're about to get to the relevancy about that. The court says, All right, I'll let you go a few more questions. Let get, let's get right to the point, please. It's getting late. Mr. Shook says, what did she tell you about the jewelry? She was telling me about some of the... Mr. Hagler then says, Your Honor, excuse me, could we approach the bench? The court then says, Yes, sure. And at this point, there's a short discussion that goes on. And then the court says, All right, back on the record. If we could keep all of our questions on point, please. Thank you. Mr. Shook then says, And as she showed you the jewelry, did the question of money come up? She was telling me she needed $10,000. Okay. And did she make a comment about how much her jewelry was worth? No, I didn't see any jewelry that was expensive. Did you tell her anything about selling her jewelry? No, we didn't talk about this. Okay. What did you do with the jewelry after she showed it to you? There were also rings on the kitchen counter, so she asked me to bring them. Let me show you a photograph marked as States Exhibit 99-B. Are those the rings that you are talking about on the counter? Yes. Showing the photograph 99-B, are these the rings you took from the counter? Yes. And had you seen these rings there all day on Wednesday? Yes. Okay. After you took the rings to Darley, what did you do with them? I handed them to Darley. And she looked at them, and she gave me them, and she told me to put them in the same place I took them from. And did you do that? Yes. What time did you leave that day? At 5, after 5 p.m. And who picked you up? My daughter took me home. Okay. As you left Darley's house, did you see another car? Yes, I saw a black sport car. And where was the black sports car? 
it was coming from the left side. And what did the car do? The car stopped for a while and the second person entered the car. Okay. And where were you when this happened? I was with my daughter by the car. Okay. And was your car in front of Darley's house? Yes. Okay. What did the black sports car do then? It passed by very quickly that even I got frightened a little. Okay. And could you describe the men or the man you saw in the car? I didn't see the driver in the car, but I saw the person on, on the right side of the car. What did he look like? It was young, maybe Mexican. It was dark face, maybe a black face. Okay. Now, later that next day, in the early morning hours, did you all receive a phone call? Excuse me? The next day, in the morning hours, did you receive a phone call? Yes. Okay. And did your daughter leave the house soon after that? Yes. You learned what happened over at the house, that a murder happened at the house. Is that right? Yes, at three o'clock. Okay. A couple of days later, did you and your daughter go to the Rowlett Police Department? Excuse me? A couple of days later, one or two days later, did you and your daughter go to the Rowlett Police Department? Yes. And did you tell the police about this car that passed you in front of Darley's house? Yes. And did you tell them or did your daughter tell them? I told them. Okay. Did you tell them about another occasion that you saw a black car? Yes. Okay. And what day was it that you saw that car? It was a week after I came here and when I went to Darley's house for dinner. Would that be back in April then? Yes. And where did you see the black car then? It was coming from the same side. Okay. And in front of Darley's house? Yes. It was just following... The car was driving on the street. Did you tell the police about seeing that car? Yes. And did you see the driver of that car on that day in April? No. Do you know if these were the same car or different cars? One was sports car and the other was also sports car. Are those the only two times you have seen a dark car over there at Darley's house? Yes. Mr. Shook then says, okay, that's all the questions, Judge. The court then says, thank you. Anything, Mr. Mosty? And Mr. Mosty, of course, of Darley's defense team says, yes, sir. The court says, all right. And at this point, the cross-examination by Mr. Richard Mosty begins. Is it Miss Saban? Saban. Miss Saban. You have understood the questions in English, have you not? Yes. All of the questions that Mr. Shook asked you, you understood in English, didn't you? No, not everything. Not everything? Most of them you did? Yes. And you were able to answer some of them even before they had been interpreted into Polish? Yes. When you went down to the police department to tell your story, did you need an interpreter? No, because there was not so many questions. Was the police officer able to ask you questions? Yes. And you understood those questions? Not everything, because my daughter was helping me. What was the police officer's name? I don't know, because I wasn't interested in that. Did the police officer write things down as you talked to him? Yes. Mr. Mosty at this point says, May I have a brief moment to confer with the state's attorney? The court then says, Yes, sure. 
So at this point, a discussion was held off the record. And when Mr. Mosty comes back, he continues his questioning and says, Miss Saban, then you told the police officer that you had seen black cars on two occasions at the Routier residence. About what car do you, are you talking about? Let me move over here so the interpreter doesn't have to spin in circles. The interpreter says, okay, thank you very much. Mr. Mosty then says, you went to the police department a couple of days after this incident? Yes. And at that time, you told the police officer that on two different occasions, you had seen black cars. It was the same street. I saw the cars on the same street. One was driving very fast, and the other time it was driving slower. These are two separate occasions? Yes. And were those these cars in the alleyway behind the house? Yes. Both times in the alley? Yes. Okay. And you thought this was suspicious, didn't you? When it happened, everything, then I started to think, and I thought maybe somebody was watching, maybe somebody was around, so it started to interest me. It concerned me. Right. Those cars had the appearance of somebody watching the Routier home. I didn't say exactly this. I meant that I was concerned because the street was very narrow and there are children, and I was concerned that the cars were driving so fast. Okay, so you went to the police department two days after the incident to report unsafe driving? I just simply said what I saw. Well, you weren't concerned about the children, but two days after this incident, you were concerned that these were suspicious cars, weren't you? Excuse me, sir, could you repeat the question? Two days after the incident, you went to the police because you thought these were suspicious cars? It was suspicious because I thought, how come that on such a narrow street, the cars are driving so fast? So I was concerned about those cars. Okay. So, you concerned about how fast those cars were driving? Yes, because they, one car almost hit my daughter, Basia. Okay, and so you thought you needed to report that driving to the police. The police was asking me if I saw any cars. Did the policeman call you and ask you to come down to the station? Yes, okay. And he asked you if you saw any cars driving unsafely? Yes. That is what he asked you? Well, no. He just asked me if I have not seen any cars. Okay. He just said, tell me every car you have seen on that street? No. No. What did he ask you? In the best that you can recall exactly, what were his words? I said in this way, when I left and with my daughter, we were by the car and the car was driving, and that car was driving very fast. And I told the policeman that I saw the car that was driving very fast. When you first saw the car, was it sitting still? Excuse me, sir? When you first saw the car, was it sitting still? Sitting? You mean standing? Standing still. The first time, not. It was... And the second time I saw as there was somebody was entering the car, sit down, and they left. Okay, well, let's talk about the second time. Is that the time that the car was driving too fast? Yes. And they drove down the alley? 
Excuse me, sir, could you clarify the word alley? The street behind the house? Oh, no, no. Where was the car when people got in it? In the front. Okay. The house was in front. The car was in front? No, behind the house. The court then says, ask the witness to get down in point, if that is satisfactory to both sides. Mr. Mosty says, well, I sort of enjoy being confused myself. <laughs> he, Mr. Mosty then says, but let me show you, ma'am. Yes, Exhibit 8. This is an aerial photograph of the house. Yes, all right. Now, now let be clear. I speak Polish. I'm talking about the second time you saw the car, the day before the murders. What time was it? About 5.15, okay. And you were leaving the house with your daughter? Yes. When you first saw the car, you saw one man in it and one man getting in it? Yes. So the car was stopped. It wasn't exactly completely was standing. It wasn't turned off. The engine wasn't turned off. Okay. It was not moving forward? No. All right. We're getting there. When you saw the car, when the man was getting in it, where was the car? Right there. Could you point on the map? There is garage this way here. Here. Here, sir. All right. It was sitting on the right here, more over there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was behind the house, but on the street? On the street, see, because like, the court then says, ma'am, speak only in Polish. The witness then says, yes, because when I left the house, so I was very comfortable and I just walked a little on the sidewalk. Mr. Mosty then says, okay, so the car is over here? Yes. Let me show the jury where you pointed to. And then he shows each juror and then says, okay, now then, after the car was stopped and after the man got in it, then the car drove off at an unsafe speed? Yes. Like they were in a hurry? I have seen very often car driving so fast, but on such a street, I just told them that they should not drive so fast. You told these men that? I told my daughter. Oh, okay. But you thought it was unusual that the car drove off that fast. I was on the street two or three times, so I don't know. I don't know how the cars are driving there on the street. Okay. But there was a young one, young man, driving. The one that was driving the car, I have not seen. I just saw the one that was sitting by the driver. Okay. And which way did this car go? Here, like this. It came around the Routier house? No, not here, not here. The court then says, ma'am, speak only in Polish. The interpreter says, the witness has a problem because she says, I cannot see this, and she wants to explain. And the court then says, well, I think, Mr. Mosty, if you would get someone to hold that and have her step down so she can see it, Mr. Hagler or somebody can hold it. Mr. Mosty says, all right. And then says, ma'am, would you step down here, please? All right. The court says, step down, please, and just point for them. Mr. Mosty says, ma'am, excuse me. You are all going to have to sort of move so that the people can see behind you. You need to stand to the side. The witness says, okay. And Mr. Mosty then says, okay. Now, when I make that, I made the motion going like this, didn't I? 
it was coming from this way, not from this street. Why do you point that out so much that it wasn't on that street? Because I didn't know that there was a street. I did not, I even did not know that there was a street. Only my daughter just told me that there was a street. Where was your daughter's car parked? Here, on the street? Yes. So you are saying your daughter had left the house out the back door? No, by front door. Okay. How did you and your daughter happen to be back over by on the back side of the house? How can you say we were on the back when the daughter was coming from here? We were here and the car was driving over there. So you were in your car when you saw this car? No, no, I was in the street. You were in the street. Where in the street? Which one was driving? I went, I was going on the driveway. Okay. Yeah, going here, my daughter. My daughter was following me just a little behind me, and I standed over there, and then I saw the car coming from the side. So you walked out of the house through the front door. Yes. And your daughter's car, was it parked right in front of the house? Yes. And you saw this black car drive down this street at an unsafe speed. Yes. Okay. Now let's talk about the, well, first, how many times have you been to the Routier house? I think about four times. Okay. About four times. And on two of those occasions, you have seen black cars? Yes, because I always look at the cars when they are driving. All right. And in April, you saw a black car out there? Yes. And you thought it was suspicious? No, I only just said that I saw the car that was driving so fast. Two cars, two black cars driving too fast? Yes. Did you ever see any other color cars driving too fast on that street? I think, yes. You didn't report those to the police, though. No, because just when the police asked me about what I saw, I just simply said that I saw this. And so the only two cars that were important enough to describe to the police were the two black ones. Yes. The first car that you saw, was it also parked when you first saw it? No. It was driving? Yes, it was driving this way. And did you say it was driving very slow? No, very quickly. It was driving very quickly? Yes. All right, I'm about to give up on the cars. Okay, I tell them what I saw, sir. Okay, you described only two incidents of the four times you were there, and you described two black cars. Yes. Okay, let's move on to something else. Did you tell anyone else about those cars other than the police? To my daughter, my daughter and you, did you ever tell Mrs. Routier that you had seen a sus suspicious car in the alley? Excuse me, sir, could you repeat? Did you ever tell Mrs. Routier that you had seen a suspicious car in the alley? One time to her husband when he came from work. And I didn't mean to use the word alley. I don't want to go down that street again. You reported to Mr. Routier that you had seen a suspicious car near their house? I didn't see him at all, and I didn't talk to him when I was at the cemetery. 
Did you ever tell Mr. Routier that you had seen a suspicious car near their house? No. I thought you just said you did. No. I only told my daughter, and my daughter told Darley in the hospital. Okay. You told your daughter that you had seen a suspicious car near the Routier's house. I told my daughter on such a street the cars should not drive in this way. And you wanted your daughter to go tell Mrs. Routier that in the hospital? No, I didn't want my daughter to go to the hospital. Did you ever see any people, any suspicious people in the alley? I didn't walk on those street. So you never saw any suspicious persons on the street? No, never, never. Now, when you looked at this jewelry, what had you been doing right before that? Excuse me, sir, before that, right? Before that. I was, I put the laundry on the kitchen. Were you watching TV with Mrs. Routier? No. Do you have a lot of jewelry? Well, no. Okay. Did you start to answer the last question in English? The court then says, let's answer everything in Polish like we agreed to do. Next question. Mr. Mosty then says, well, there is a bit of a problem, Your Honor. The witness says, I'm sorry. The court says, please speak only in Polish, ma'am. The witness says, okay. The court says, thank you. Go ahead. Mr. Mosty says, do you have a lot of jewelry? I don't care to answer this question. You don't care to answer that question? The court then says, ma'am, please answer the question if you know the answer. The witness says, I don't have a lot. How much jewelry do you have? If you would like, I can show you. See? You're showing me a ring and a necklace? The court then says, let the record reflect that the witness is showing the ring on her finger and a necklace. Thank you. You may proceed. Go ahead. The witness says, this is a Madonna. Mr. Mosty says, is that all of the jewelry you have? Well, why should I answer this question? The court says, ma'am, please answer the question. The witness says, yes, I also have a golden bracelet. Mr. Mosty then says, you have quite a bit of jewelry? Excuse me, sir? Mr. Shook then says, judge, we will object to relevance at this point. The court then says, overruled, I'll let her answer the questions. Please answer the question, ma'am. The interpreter says, excuse me, sir, could you repeat that? Mr. Mosty then says, you have quite a bit of jewelry? No, I don't have. Well, how much jewelry do you have? I am poor woman. The court says, ma'am. The witness says, I am too poor a woman to have a lot of jewelry. The court then says, we have answered that question. Let's move on to the next one. I think she has shown us. Mr. Mosty then says, well, is your testimony that all of the jewelry you have is what you have on you? No, I have one more ring that I got from my family and I have it in my room. And that's all? And I have a bracelet. And that's all? That's it. Have you given a lot of jewelry to your daughters? Yes. So you are knowledgeable about jewelry. Yes, I have knowledge about jewelry because when my grandmother died, they sent me jewelry from Poland. And on the day that you were looking at the jewelry, you and Mrs. Routier were talking about the jewelry that you had or that you had inherited and talking about her jewelry. There were small rings. And so she was telling me that she got those rings from her grandmother. 
and you told her that you had also received jewelry from your family? Yes, correct. And some of the jewelry you had gotten from your family was pretty valuable jewelry, wasn't it? For me, yes. Okay. And Mrs. Routier's jewelry was sort of cheap jewelry, wasn't it? No, those jewelry that were all lying on the counter, they were very expensive. And you discussed cleaning of that jewelry, didn't you? No. And you were not going to clean that jewelry the next time you came to work? No, never. Never discussed at all? No, I didn't talk about this. Okay. Mrs. Routier just brought down the jewelry and laid it out and started showing it to you. No. She came downstairs. She brought the jewelry. She sit in the armchair and she told me she asked me to come to her and see what she had. But she at no time discussed with you cleaning that jewelry. No, I have never cleaned anybody's jewelry. And this is about the fourth or fifth time that you have been around Mrs. Routier? Four times I was there. Four times. And she told you, was it in this conversation that she told you she needed $10,000? Yes. Before or after she showed you the jewelry? During the time she was showing me the jewelry. On the fourth occasion that you have ever been around her, she is telling you that she needs $10,000. Yes. It was not $9,000 and it was not $15,000. It was ten. Yes. Now, Mrs. Routier has done some nice things for you, hasn't she? What kind? Well, she brought you a cake. What cake? When? Did Mrs. Routier bring you a cake? Mr. Shook then says, Judge, we will object to relevancy. The court says, No, I'll let him develop this. Overruled, go ahead. When I came, I didn't know her very well and I had a birthday. When I had a birthday, she came to my house with boys and the boys brought me flowers. Okay, did they also bring you a cake? No, but it was your birthday, wasn't it? Yes, and during the day that you were there, or the days that you were there, Mrs. Routier cooked for her children, didn't she? Yes. Just a couple more things. Did, when you talked to the police, you said that the police asked you to come down to the police station? Yes. Can you describe the man you talked to? It was a very tall man with dark hair. Did he seem particularly interested in black cars? Yes, he was asking. Okay. Mr. Mosty then says, pass the witness, and the court says, anything, Mr. Shook? And Mr. Shook says, may we approach the bench for a moment? And the court says, yes, you may. And at this point, there's a discussion that's held off the record. And when they're all done, the court then says, any further questions? Mr. Toby Shook says, not at this time, Judge. The court says, you may step down, ma'am. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I know we agreed to stay until five. But in view of the lateness of the hour, we're not going to start another witness. Now we will start promptly at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Everybody be here, witness and chair, ready to go. See you then. All right, so let's go over a little bit as to what Helena has said while on the stand. Now, first she gives a bit of her background. And then she says that she's met Darley about five or six times, but had been at the Routier home about four times. She met Darley one of these five or six times 
at the electronics business that Darren and Darley ran. And this is also where Helena's daughter happened to work, and she also happened to be friends with Darley. Now, Helena had agreed to do some work for Darley, mainly laundry and cleaning, and she showed up on the 4th of June, early in the morning. Barbara, her daughter, had brought her over there and then picked up Darren to take him to work because Darren's car at the time was broken down. Now, that day that she's there, she does laundry when she arrives and says that Darley was there with a young girl named Rebecca, who was the babysitter. Helena said she believed that Rebecca was about 11 or 12, but she couldn't be sure. She does say that Darley was upstairs a lot with Rebecca. And then Helena made a statement that she didn't want to go back the following day because she felt that Darley and Rebecca were making fun of her. She also said that sometimes Darley was, quote, joyful and sometimes not, but that mostly she was upstairs. Now, it's hard to determine exactly what she means by this. And honestly, um, I don't know what Darley was doing upstairs uh, most of the time, but, you know, maybe we'll find that out a little further on. Now, although she said she didn't want to go back the next day, she did. Rebecca, again, was there with Darley. And then there's this whole section where the jury is asked to leave the room. And then a set of questions begins about how Helena felt that Darley wasn't treating the baby correctly. At one point, even suggesting that she was strangling him because there was a blanket over his face. Now, based on Helena's statement, Rebecca, the babysitter, even though she was supposed to be the babysitter, didn't seem to be doing much of anything with the kids. Now, all of these statements about what Darley was or what not was not doing with the baby they were not statements that were made in front of the jury, and they weren't eventually allowed even in front of the jury. So even though you heard this in this testimony, the jury did not. Now, I was curious as to whether or not this Rebecca was actually going to testify or not. And the only instance that I do see is that there is a Rebecca who testifies at trial, but only during the punishment phase, not the actual jury trial. Now, this information that was held outside of the jury, and Helena's answering all these questions by the prosecution, when it comes to the defense, the defense then states various objections, like 404B, 401, prima facie, I think, and 403. Now, I had no idea what these meant, so I looked them up. And here's essentially what the defense was saying. Now, Rule 404B means that you can't use someone's past mistakes to suggest that because of these past mistakes, that they did something wrong this, to, this time too, just because they have this history. Rule 401 is mainly focused around evidence, whether or not it's relevant specifically. If the evidence doesn't help prove or disprove something, it should not be used in court. Now, this prima facie is used when there is enough evidence to prove that something is true, unless someone can show it's not. And finally, Rule 403 lets a judge rule whether or not to use evidence. Now, if the judge thinks that what was said 
might confuse people. It might bias them or just waste their time. They can say that it's not allowed. So we're all learning new things, aren't we? Now, as we know, the judge did not allow this information to be used in front of the jury. So they go back to questioning Helena. And the second day that Helena shows up at the Routier home, she said she vacuumed the downstairs and Darley told her to put the vacuum by the kitchen. She said to put it by the storage room there in the kitchen, which happens to be by the wine rack. And then they mentioned States Exhibit 99. And I will have this as soon as the site is ready. I'm going to have all of this up on the website so you can actually look at these photos. She also said that Darley vacuumed also that day, but she was vacuuming upstairs. However, Helena doesn't mention if Darley came and got the vacuum that was downstairs and then took it upstairs. There might have been another vacuum upstairs. We simply don't know the answer to this question. Helena then said that Darley went upstairs at some point this same day grabbed her jewelry box and brought it down so that her and Helena could look at the jewelry that's in Darley's jewelry box. And as they're looking through the jewelry box, Darley evidently just tells Helena, hey, that she needs $10,000. And again, there's two more exhibits, States Exhibit 99A and 99B. Again, as soon as the website is ready, it will be up there at beachhouse34.com. Helena then says that as she was leaving the Routier home that day, her daughter had come to pick her up. She said that a black sports car was there and that it stopped to let a younger man, either a Mexican or African-American, into the passenger side. And then the car took off driving very fast. Her and her daughter then hear, this is the following day, about the murders at the Routier's. And they are asked to go to the police station. And they are asked about this car that went by the house. Helena, and remember, this is still the prosecution that's asking her these questions. And she also says, Helena also says that in April, when she was there for dinner, she happened to see a similar car to the one that she saw on the day that she was leaving, the one that went by really fast. Now, this ends the prosecution questioning. And then the defense begins to question Helena. And he starts off by asking her why she needs an interpreter at all, because she speaks and understands English. And she does say that she understands most, but not all. He then asks her if these, uh, this car was seen in the alleyway. And she said, yes. Now, at this point, it gets a little confusing because she says that she talked to the police about the cars not because they were suspicious, but because they were driving so fast and she was concerned for the kids. But she never reported it at the time. She only talked about it when she was brought down to the police station. And even then, only when it was brought up by the police because they asked her if she had seen any cars in the area. So she is then again asked about where this car was. And again, the alley is mentioned. Now, she asks for this to be clarified, and when he explains where this alley is, she said, no, it was in the street behind the house. They then want her to clarify. So she does say that she saw it after she left the Routier home, but that the car wasn't, quote-unquote, standing when the person got into it. She said the car was not turned off. They then have her point to an exhibit but it's unclear what she's pointing to because this is not included in the transcript. 
Now, after it's all said and done, and after uh, Mr. Mosty gets completely frustrated trying to get answers from Helena about the cars, I kind of gathered that maybe the car might have been coming down the curve, which then goes right in front of the Rutter home, since their house sits on a corner lot. There was also talk about Helena walking down the sidewalk, so I don't know if she meant walking down the front steps of the house or the actual sidewalk next to the house. So anyway, the defense then just moves on to other questions. He then again refers to the alley about where this car was seen and asks if Helena ever told Darren about this car. She said yes, one time when he came home from work. But then she said she didn't see him at all and didn't talk to him while at the cemetery. She then said that she didn't say anything to Darren, that she only told her daughter and her daughter then told Darley in the hospital. So again, this is all really kind of confusing, or at least it was for me. They then get into the conversation about Helena's jewelry, her own jewelry in particular. And it's actually kind of humorous because she simply does not want to answer this question. Eventually she does. The judge is like, look, you have to answer this question. And it's then discussed that Darley evidently had told Helena while she was showing her this jewelry that she needed this $10,000. Not $9,000, not $15,000, but exactly $10,000. Mosty then circles back to the police officer and how he had asked Helena about these cars specifically. Now, she said she didn't know the officer's name, but knew that he was tall and had dark hair. Now, this was the end of questioning of Helena after a short off-the-record discussion, which, of course, we are, is not included in the transcript, so we have no idea what, they, what was said. So anyways, that's, that's how the whole Helena thing ends. Now, the next morning, uh, since they're wrapping up for this day, the first person who will actually be on the stand will be Barbara Jovell. And this happens to be Helena's daughter and friend of Darley's. So the next episode of the Darley Routier trial will be Barbara Jovell's testimony. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You are all truly, truly appreciated. I'd love to know any thoughts on this or even any opinions. And if you leave your comments on my YouTube podcast page, uh, this is where I most frequently visit to read and respond. I will have the link in the show notes for you. So it's super easy to get there. So anyway, the next episode, like I said, will be Helena's daughter, Barbara. And I look forward to hearing what she has to say. We will talk soon. <laughs>